Well, hello there, boys and girls. I hope you are doing really well and are ready for today's interview. In this episode, I'm talking to Mackenzie Hunter, who is the Senior Director of People and Culture at Seven Shifts. And we were supposed to talk today about how Mackenzie has helped Seven Shifts grow from 40 people to 200 and will continue to help the organization grow to even higher numbers in the months and years to come. We were very close to going sideways on that topic because we got diverted onto talking about the 100-year life and the concept of when we're going to retire. By the way, Marco Bianchi, thank you very much for injecting, infusing me with that topic. It's become a passion for me. But as much as an interesting conversation that was, we managed to bring it on track of what we wanted to talk about. And we did. And Mackenzie shares with us some of insight, what has helped her guide the organization, the people's department and the organization and help them grow through, through, through the years while retaining the culture. Because this is something that we often see that as organizations grow or scale, whether, whether they're just small organizations in numbers or startups, as they grow and scale, they find it difficult to keep that culture, to be intentional about that culture. And I think that that's what comes from Mackenzie is that intentionality from the early days. And spoiler alert, one of the main things that has helped is being true to the company's core values that were established in the early days and are still one of the, if not the most important thing that keeps people with the organization and as well as bringing new people to the organization. Here's my conversation with Mackenzie Hunter. Enjoy. We Got This showcases individuals and organizations that create people-focused workplace cultures to help it become the norm rather than the exception. It's something that will require a mindset shift and probably not something that any of us can do alone. But together, together, we got this. It's my first podcast, so I'm excited just to jump in and see where it takes us. Well, excellent. In that case, let's, let's start. And the usual starting point is my favorite question. And that question is, when you were little, what did you want to be when you grew up? I remember I loved watching TLC's What Not to Wear. And there was a segment at the end where they got a whole new wardrobe. They got their hair and makeup done. And I wanted to be a makeup artist, just like Carmody from the show. But then at that time, CSI, Crime Scene Investigation, was also really popular. So I thought it'd be so cool to be a forensic scientist. I was really torn between the two. And someone said, well, why don't you just do makeup on dead people, like to get them ready at the funeral home? And I got really mad. I didn't like that suggestion. I was, I was thinking, so how we can connect this? That was one connection. But if, then I was wondering, is there a forens forensic makeup artist? Or are we, am I inventing a new thing here? But probably wouldn't be uh, your uh, something that you're interested in anyway, based if, if you didn't want to do that um, to get people ready for the funeral. Understandably, of course. I always like to try, at least try and draw the connection between what we dreamt of when we were little to what we do now. Do you see any, from your, from, from your point of view, because I'll be honest, for the first time in a long while, I'm a little bit stumped in drawing that connection. Well, I think you're working with people and, you know, they're very much alive when you work in HR. And I always say people are really messy and they're beautiful. So I don't know, maybe that there's a tie somewhere in there. Maybe, maybe there is, maybe there is, because guests on these podcasts tend to be either heads of people, department, people from uh, people's mm. departments, uh, CEOs, the COOs as well. And there's, I always have a lot of fun kind of trying to draw the, these parallels. And then more often than not, we, we can, and especially with 
heads of PMCs or HR, there is that element that they've had when they were little that indicates mm, wanting to serve, wanting to help others, uh, people or animals, actually, ironically, because a lot of oh. the people uh, that I found wanted to be veterinarians, wanted to be vets when they were little. I grew up on a farm, loved it. Anytime I've always taken stray cats and whenever there was kittens, I loved to tame them or I'd be around when we were calving. And even more seriously, like more towards high school, I remember thinking it'd be really cool to get into maybe broadcast journalism or something of the sort. But when I was, I'm the oldest of four. And when my, when I was in grade five, my mom actually went back to school to get her, to get her degree. And she did it with four kids and a husband farmer and I'm sorry, I should say a farmer husband. And it just looked so hard. And I remember thinking, ah, oh, you know, if I want to go into university at some point, probably the time to do it is when I'm single and just have myself to worry about. And so I actually thought I'd really like to get a commerce degree. And I had no idea what I wanted to really major in at that point in time, but it was kind of clear in my second year after you take a bunch of journalist courses that HR was the area that excited me the most. And I, I never really thought much about it. Like once I made up my mind, I was, I was pretty all in and I haven't looked back since I've, I've been so absolutely thrilled with the kind of path my career has taken and kind of what's led me here today. Excellent. See, there you, there you go. There's, there's that connection. Subtle, but still a, a connection. I'm, I'm glad we found that because it is something fascinating. And again, often discussed in this podcast is that element of, mm, when when we are not little but when we are at university when we're deciding to go to university when we finish how much do we know of what we're gonna what we want to do it's different for for you and i for our generation it was completely different for our parents and it will again be completely different for for the future generation they will be picking things up differently based on different criteria because the chances of them working and retiring at the age of 65 around that is minimal by that time, it will probably be 70, 75, but not longer because the life expectancy will increase. And mm -hmm. there's this stat that I've, I think people born in 1998 onwards have over 50% chance to, to live over 100. And the later they wow. were born, the more likely they are to live over 100. The research shows that they, they will, the kind of the stopping point, natural stopping point for the, for the body at this moment in time is kind of natural age of around 110, 112. That's kind of the, wow. the, the limit. That's what, they, that's what they're saying. Wild. Right? That's why. But then think about it. You've got another 60 years after your retirement. You need to think about work yeah. differently because yeah. people who are retiring at 65, our, our parents, for example, previous generation, they expect life expectancy. They had, you know, 10, 15 years after that. We probably have another 20, maybe 30 years of, um, um, uh, beyond that. If you've got 60, that's a completely different thing. You won't have one career. You'll spend most of your 20s and 30s searching and then doing it for 10, 15 years. And then when you hit 50 and 60, you won't retire. You won't be thinking about it. You'll be looking to requalify re because obviously you have to throw in that element of technology. And I'm even fascinated as you're saying that part of what's going on in my head is, okay, for life expectancy and shifting, what does that do for longevity and how good we feel able, you know, how long we feel able-bodied, able-minded, and, you know, everyone's really into the sex in the city we be right now. And just like that. And I saw this side-by-side -side comparison of a, a promo poster for the, the Gilmore Girls versus and just like that. The women were both, you know, they were all 55 at that time, but, you know, very sexy now and, and just like that. And then versus in the Gilmore Girls, it was kind of what my grandmother looked like, the short permed hair, the 
older sweaters. And um, yeah, and, you know, and even thinking about when I was younger, what I thought was old then is, is not what I think is old now. Uh, I don't really don't think people are old until they're kind of like in their 90s, like elderly. Before that, I think people are pretty spry and doing a lot of stuff. Yeah, no, that's that's true. That's true. I, I actually read a book and I have to I have to thank one of our previous guests that was on this podcast uh, who sent me that that book. And the book was basically we, we connected to chat. And, uh, we recorded a podcast together and we, uh, we we talked about this topic and he suggested the book, a book called uh, 100 Year Life. The, the the guest was Marco Bianchi, and he he actually ordered me that book as a gift on Amazon, and arrived a few days later. I devoured that book in a week, and it's a fascinating read. Just talking about everything that we just we just mentioned, and I highly recommend if you're interested in that topic, have a read. And for anyone else as well, definitely a very nice book that will make you think, just kind of just to ponder, because we we often don't, and I think it's important for us as individuals uh, how it will impact us, but also. In the line of work that you and I do, although we're obviously on on different sides of it, different different in different areas, we still have to think about future generations, right? Or the people coming into the workforce, why do they struggle? And this is a very interesting observation. And especially, I'm I was born and raised in in Poland, where there's a massive gap and a massive conflict between. People, business owners, and and senior managers who are who tend to be in their late. 40s, 50s, maybe even beyond that, and the young force coming in, completely oppose expectation of what they want. Mm-hmm. And conflict as a result, because millennials or gen whatever is, in, is popular right now, is coming in, they've got an expectation, okay, we want to experiment, we want to learn, we want to try, but we want you to support. But the organizations, the, the people in organizations who have, are from previous generations who have experienced a completely different world of communism, tough reality, shortages of rations of everything. They lived in a world where when you got a job, you, you were, you know, thanking, thanking God for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, kiss of the hand and thinking, thank you, thank you, thank you. And you don't say, well, now we've got the complete opposite. People go, yeah, I'll experiment, I want to see. And that that's, mm-hmm. creates such a gap and such a conflict results. It's amazing. And I think that's where you and either the roles that we play are important. And that book, in a way, as well, is important because it kind of gives that point of reflection makes people reflect hopefully on on that yeah and even the industry i'm in kind of software service or technology average average kind of 10 years two or three years it's kind of you, you hope like heck you can hold on to somebody longer than that but it really before you can't really take it personally and i think that even our parents generation stayed places for decades or even from you know when they were 18 to retirement and so they think we're crazy that we're bouncing around all over the place. Sometimes I actually think it's kind of cool that, you know, oh, maybe I wish I would have tried different things as well. It's, it's, it's important. We underestimate what we, the, the value of experimentation in these early days, mm-hmm. but for that to be conscious experimentation, trying of new things as, and as building blocks rather than it being, oh, I don't fancy it. Oh, I can't be bothered. You know, that I fully agree with the previous generations and that con- why they're so conflicted and why they're so annoyed. Because if you have that kind of lack of um, ambition or engagement, commitment, because that's, that's the important thing that I think is missing. Experimentation is one, but committing to something is another. And committing not for a week, but for three months, because you can't get vital information, any piece of research after a week or even a month. Commit to something for six months, 12 months, see where that gets you, 
rather than jumping around uh, so often. So I like kind of doing stuff based on at least a quarter. If I want to change a habit, I want to develop something, if I want to try mm. a new strategy, a new tactic, I'm going to stick with it for a minimum of, you can say 100 days, you can say a quarter, just to kind of have that. Okay, do it for 100 days, stick with it, past the point of when it gets uncomfortable, see what happens then. If after 100 days you decide it was a waste of time, okay, at least. I don't think it was full waste of time because you realize that's not the path. Yeah, or you didn't, or you didn't make a rash decision. It was well thought out and there was, you know, co- consistency or a pattern that made you feel good about that choice. It's interesting. I've been thinking about this lately because the company I work at, Seven Shifts, we, we, we make employee scheduling software for the, for the restaurant industry. And uh, when I started, we were about 40 people in 2017. And now we've just crossed that 200 mark and we'll be about 350 by, by the end of the year. So with that growth, we're hiring a ton. And, you know, last year, people talked so much about the great resignation. And there were a few, there were a few team members who, who ended up kind of embarking on new adventures throughout that time. And, and they just actually came back less than a year later to seven shifts. And I, you know, I was so interested in what, why did you come back? Like, what things are you caring a lot about? And for a lot of folks, I think maybe they left because they kind of the grass screener, they thought maybe they wanted a new technical challenge, or perhaps maybe it was even more money. And it was like the culture and that sense of belonging and that camaraderie that in the end they really valued. And so kind of been thinking about how do we measure that and how do we make sure that that continues as we grow so much and in our continued remote environment. First of all, thank you very much for, for the segue, because I've been, I've been racking my brain, how can we bring this conversation, this lovely conversation that we're having, onto the, the, roughly the topic and direction that we, we, we sort of agreed before, before coming on this call. Although what we're discussing is relevant, and I think it does connect with what you mentioned. It is a topic of what you mentioned is something that I'm really fascinated about. First of all, two elements to that is that great resignation that you mentioned, you know, what's been going on, how much, how, how, how true it is. I guess, and how much is it kind of a little bit of a, kind of a bit of a PR stint and how yeah. what companies yeah. it, does it affect, right? But the second element, and I think this is the most important one, is mm, something that you've mentioned off air, is, is that you've had intentionality about culture embedded mm. in the organization from early days, which is something that I deal with on my side of the, 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 the story here. When I work with clients, when we tend to undo a lot of the processes and parts of, and kind of change that the initial DNA that just did not grow, that did not scale or wasn't set up right for the long term. And we, mm-hmm. we tend to devote a lot of time to undoing all of that. So I'm really curious, what, 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 was, what, what does it mean to you? How that, what does that look like at Seven Shifts, that kind of intentionality about culture from, mm. from the early days? What do you see the benefits of now that actually have been there from the start? Yeah. I mean, well, going back to kind of the first point you made about the great resignation. So I've been pouring over our, our turnover rates and it's interesting, you know, between the last few years, 20, 2019, 2020, 2020, 2021, they've, they've remained actually relatively the exact same. There's really hardly any difference. And so it's been interesting in kind of chatting with some folks who were, I think that just so many companies are hiring and there's, especially for certain roles, you know, product managers, software developers, talent acquisition specialists, they're so in demand right now and the, the demand is exceeding that supply. And so 
especially too when you think software developers take maybe four years to come out of school. So I don't know when that we're going to reach a tipping point, but I think, um, you know, I was, I, I was talking to somebody who we were really sad to lose and, and he said, you know, like I was happy, I was happy. I've been here for a long time. I wasn't even lucky, but this company reached out to me and, you know, really what the reason that I responded is because they just led with how, how much money it was going to be. And it was, it was more than I'm making here. And I thought, oh God, like our, our companies are just around the, the corner, the, the amount that he was going to be making was what we were planning to give him. The timing was literally off by two months. Why? Gosh, like how I wish I just would have known this and I would have had a crystal ball. We could have expedited that process. But it was interesting because that's, that was the kind of bait and, and hook. And, and anyway, so kind of, I mean, going back to your second question about kind of the groundwork laid, I'm really glad that from the beginning, the culture has been really important to, to the team. Uh, I don't think we can credit it to one single person. I think starting from our founders, our CEO, Jordan, to the people that we've hired, to the investors that we've attracted, everyone cares a lot about about the people and, and the culture side of it. And so I don't know if, if you're interested, but I can even kind of tell you the story about our, our core values and how they came to be. Sure. So we, I, when I started, like I said, we were about 40 people. And around that time, we actually used to have a different set of core values. And they were, they were, they were lovely. They were nice, but they didn't really seem to stick. It, it, and some, some were resonated more than others. Some were a little confusing to be truthful. And I remember our, our leadership team went through uh, this exercise and it was inspired by this, by the brilliant folks at first round. So I'd be happy to share the article to link after. And, and basically it said, you know, when you're like 30, 40 people, you, you know who everyone in the company is. I, I, and so they went through this exercise where they said, you know, I, I want to challenge you. Think about who would you, if you could, who would you clone to infinity? Or put it another way, if you were going to go and start another company, who would you want to bring with you? Don't overthink it. You know who these people are. Make your list of the top two or three. So everyone did that. And then we said, okay, now I want you to consider why did you pick those people? What about them is worth replicating? What values, what virtues do they have that you admire? And so everyone kind of started writing these themes are these, you know, ideas on, on whiteboard and these themes kind of started to emerge. And so those individuals were actually brought in and we're like, Hey, this is what we're working on. We think you're great. Like, here's where we're at. What do you think? They're like, yeah, that's awesome. Or, oh, did you think about this? Or what about that? And so through that kind of these, these, our core values were born. There was five of them. They spell the acronym themes, be radically candid, embrace new challenges, act like an owner make every experience in 11, solve with simplicity. Looked around the table and said, okay, it's really important. We kind of have to rate each other. We have to make sure that, you know, the people sitting here actually embody these, because if not, that's really going to invite hypocrisy and this is never going to work. These cannot be aspirational. They have to, we have to live and breathe them. And so, you know, sure enough, roll them out and guess who else looks up to those people in the company, the people who are receiving the message. And they went up and they asked them, Hey, these new core values, what do you think? And they were like, they're great. I actually got to help make them. And here's what we did. And they're like, oh, sweet. So it felt kind of less top, top down. And then we thought, okay, that's great. Now we have these, but actually how do we action them? How do we bring them into the fold and everything that we do? So we pulled everyone in the company and we said, hey, we know nobody's perfect. Out of these five, how many come naturally to you? How many do you kind of consistently demonstrate 
And the result came in and it was three and a half out of five. We said, cool, that'll be the bar. So we will hire people, we will reward people. And sometimes we'll make the really tough call to let somebody go based on their ability to meet that floor. And we, we rounded down to three for easy figuring. And, you know, when I talked to the, the folks who are still at the company since the early, early days, like the very first software developer, the very first person we ever hired outside of our founders is still at the company. I said, like, what keeps you here? And, and what's working? And they said, it's cool because the company's so different, but the culture feels the same as it did when we were 10 people to now when we're 200. So that's very cool. Why do you think that is? Is that I think it's because we're so picky about hiring people that align with those core values, even if it means we, we wait to get it right. Or sometimes we do get it wrong. Anyone who does a lot of hiring knows it's not if you make a mistake, it's when. So acting swiftly, you know, removing that person and, and, and in a respectful way, kind of just communicating what happened so people understand and they're kind of behind it. So I think that that has paid dividends. And I don't think you can, you can uh, do that too early. That, that's a great story. And thank, thank you very much for, for sharing that. And especially the last point intrigues me because, again, as we've been discussing off air when, when we first connected, uh, I've been learning more about what's called the cultural chasm. And in a way, what the example you gave is kind of a very good one of that. And necessarily, but the opposite of, of what, what cultural chasm is, is that as you, if you take that developer that you mentioned that was with you with early, from early days, what often happens was the, as the company grows and more structures are introduced, that developer mm. is further removed from the CEO. When it's early days, he or she feels like they can go up to the CEO, talk to them directly about anything and everything, right? Because they tend to be two desks away and most of all, there's no structure between. The cultural chasm happens usually two, three years down the line or past a certain point of, of, of a number of people on, on board where you've got layers, where, that's, uh, where that software developer is removed by three layers of two or three layers of structure from the CEO. And that's where the problem starts to begin, or the problem is actually, because that's uh, that software developer thing feels things used to be mm -hmm. easier. It was much better. The communication was simpler. Now we've got processes, procedures and things like that. And the, the, the most important bit, and I think this really relates really nicely to what you said, the values get lost. The behaviors, yeah. what's important, that glue, that guiding light, however you want to put that disappears. You remove not just from the person, from the CEO that we mentioned, but the values as well, because you, you must have seen it. You must have heard of it where you've got values that are posters on walls or something on the internet or in a Slack channel and that's it. Yeah. And they're yeah. aspirational or not, they're just not, there's just something that's there that people don't believe. Because values in reality is something that when, this is one of my favorite definitions of values is either on an organizational or individual level, is we use values in an ambiguous situation where we don't know what decision to make is when you're stuck, when you don't know it, you will go with your gut, you will go with your values. That's kind of a nice, nice way of, of defining it, mm -hmm. I think. And it's so important that business keep that. And I think in a way, it's one of the keys that I see from, from, from your story that that's kind of really kept that, that culture together. It has. I, I think, you know, we just hired an intern and we all went out for lunch and she said, it's so crazy because you, you guys will just be having a normal conversation, but then you'll like casually just drop a core value and you'll like work it in or how do you do that? And I was, I don't even know. It, it just happens. But I think a lot of the times we'll say like, 
okay, well, what would making someone's experience at 11 look like? Or can we take a step back? How can we add simplicity to this? But, you know, even going back to what you said, you're so right about earlier team members missing that, that casualness and that more frequent interaction with the CEO. And, you know, people have said that they're like, I miss having lunch with, with Jordan. They're like, he's so wonderfully weird. (laughs) I miss that casual environment. And He's so good. Like he literally, he knows every person's name in the company. He cares a lot. In fact, I, in December, I went to, to Kelowna, a province, two provinces away from where I am. And I met up with a team member there and he slapped me right away because I had posted about it on LinkedIn. He said, well, there's, there's two people there. Like, did you not meet with the other person? Like, I don't want them to feel left out. And I was like, wow, that's so impressive that you know that actually I'm super glad I had messaged them, but they were sick. So the timing just didn't work out next time. I thought that's the things that you're noticing and you're thinking about caring about. That's so cool. And you know, like he still takes the time. He talks with every single candidate before their first day. He has a quick phone call to talk about our mission, our vision, ask about any questions that they have. He's very accessible. He also recently said like, I have to show vulnerability and I want to show, you know, part of having that feedback culture, radical candor, what that looks like. So he created a, a Google form and he, he bought a domain name uh, for it and it directs people to give him feedback. And then all the responses are made visible and then he'll talk about them at all hands. If there's something that came up or was recurring, he'll say, here's how I'm planning to work on it or change it going forward. So I think that's very cool. Like, you know, even going back to the core value piece, how do we just make sure that they're actual? Are we giving people recognition when they go above and beyond to demonstrate that core value in a Slack channel and again at all hands? In our annual reflections, talking about our core values, which ones are we most, are we best at? Which ones do we want to develop further over the next year? Even having, we're big fans of the office. I think a lot of folks are. So we have our own version of the Dundee Awards called the Shifty Awards with lots of goofy categories, but also some serious ones about core values. And it's just, it's a nice way to kind of work it in whenever we get the chance. I'll be honest, I haven't watched The Office. I've watched the British version, I think a couple of episodes, never, never, never watched the, the US version, but obviously I've been exposed to it here, here and there. I know what it's about. Can't really quote anything or anything you know, they do. But you know what? I'm glad it's serving a purpose. Again, it's it's about making things relatable, digestible uh, for people, mm. you know, whatever way you do. And uh, most of all, I don't want to say lighthearted, but engage engageable. I don't know whether that's even a word or fun, very least fun. Right? We can talk about serious topics, but we can do it in a in a non necessarily serious way. If that makes sense, right? It's something that will let people feel open and safe to safe to be open, vulnerable as a result, as you said. But that often comes from different places, from different people, right? and we look up to, to 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 people, to leaders within organizations to show that. And very often, CEOs have different priorities, different management styles, leadership styles, and that sometimes is a bit at uh, kind of crossroads. It doesn't, it doesn't match, doesn't always suit. And there's a question of whether there's someone else who can counterbalance certain behaviors and, um, and attitudes within, within the organization. But I'm glad you mentioned obviously the core values, what the CEO does and, and the approach to kind of that transparency and candor, which is again, something that a lot of people, managers and CEOs, most of all people in senior leadership roles will, you know, avoid drastically just not to kind of mm. go down that route because they don't know how to do that juggle that balance between transparency, candor, 
confidentiality and what's good for the business, what's good for the individuals and so on and so forth. So we're kind of dancing with that line. And I'm glad that that your, your CEO has managed to, to find that. Are there any other practices that you see apart from the core values that, that have been there from the start that you, that you see the dividends of now, a few years down the line as, as the company grows? Sure. I think, yeah, a few. I mean, I think like accessibility to people is a big one. In the early days, you know, not only does everyone know everybody, but you kind of feel like you're all wearing a bajillion hats and it's appropriate to kind of go to whomever. And I, I noticed kind of at one point people started saying to me or other other team members, oh, you know, they'd reach out and they'd have an idea. They'd want some time. They go, I know you're so busy, but and I just remember thinking, God, like, I don't want people to think that them coming to me is like an inconvenience. That's a favorite part of my job. Like, in fact, I'm shockingly available. Like, yes, everyone's busy, but you make time for the things and the people that are, that matter and that are important to you. So always kind of trying to redirect that. And we've said, you know, in this remote world, if, if people can't just go and see a team member in the kitchen or having lunch, how do we recreate those, those moments? And I think that we've, we've played around with it. Our, we call our executive team, our coordination team. We started just having like water cooler chats where anyone can randomly drop in during this one hour block with the different members that are on that rotation. They can talk about anything. It doesn't have to be work-related. It could be their favorite music or a movie they recently watched just to create that familiarity. Because I think you know, from the early days to kind of come back to your question, everyone's, everyone's so humble and so helpful and so collaborative. And, you know, no one would ever say, I'm too busy. That's not my job. That's not my problem. It's like, well, how can I help? What do you need? And I think that gets harder if you don't know each other, you don't have that comfortability or even, you know, on the other end, comfort in discomfort, you know, from the beginning, having a high trust environment and that, you know, people talk about psychological safety, but it's true. Like we've worked really hard at having that. So I uh, loved reading the book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni. That's been, that's been something that we've definitely had some takeaways from. Yeah, we want to kind of create that or even like, you know, we kind of had to change how we do onboarding. Just, you know, recently we said, ah, oh, Maybe actually like one hour a month, we should just have certain members of our coordination team just host for all new hires and anyone else who wants to come. Just like a presentation, but like, here's what our department does. Here's what I'm thinking about these days. Here's a bit about me and then open it up for Q&A. So people don't just think in their silos, which is so tempting when you, as you grow and they start thinking, oh, I know how the different bits and pieces of the, of the company fit together to kind of create this this picture and, and it'll kind of increase, you know, communication and efficiency. So, oh, how we do things might change, but kind of the crux of it or the intention behind it has remained similar. Thank you. Thank you for answering that question. And you actually inadvertently partially answered the question that I was, I was, I was going to ask you is because I was curious how you managed or how the organization has managed to avoid the inevitable obviously the structures are being introduced like different layers of organizational structures will be put in place because there's more people that's kind of how we run businesses how we used to run businesses how we continue running businesses it remains to be seen whether we'll continue run businesses that way. 
but that's for, <laughs> for a different conversation. But it does happen uh, naturally. And I was curious how you manage that. So that people, that person, again, using the example that we used before, that software developer and the CEO, how does that software developer not feel far removed from the CEO? And I mm. think part of what you say has answered that accessibility and visibility of not just people but what's being what's being discussed what's being done so that the silos are not created because that's what usually happens with structure with larger groups of people silos will naturally happen they are not always a bad thing but it, they they tend to have a negative impact as well when information is not being shared openly so well. again i think you've answered that question but is there anything else that you think you've you've done the organization has done to avoid those silos and those that kind of ease the process of introducing these structures well i think less so of thinking about silos going back to like just the the allure or fighting the temptation to like put a process in place for everything you know we're so risk averse that we think oh if we don't you know have the perfect policy that captures every permutation of what could happen it's going to bite us in the, in the backside. And our, you know, and we're not perfect. Sometimes we've gone and said, why did we do that? Let's just scrap it. Or how do we make things simpler as we go? You know, as we were growing, we said, let's just have a vacation for crying out loud. We trust people. We're sick of tracking if, you know, people took this much time or that much time. Like, you know, and it's, what's crazy is if you lead by example and you show through action that I'm taking big, I took six weeks last year. Or um, the average the, the vacation usage went up. It, it, it didn't go down, which some people are afraid of because it's kind of like in air quotes, unlimited, but people feel a little bit afraid to do it. Like they're taking advantage. But the average amount of time that people took was four weeks. And so, you know, I remember having a conversation with the manager and I said, oh, I don't know about this. Like, I really think that we need to scale back. We need a policy. And I said, well, I'm curious. Like, why? Tell me more now. Oh, this person's just abusing it and they've been having performance issues. And I said, well, guess what? It's like, it's working for the 99% of everyone else. So is it, is it actually the policy that's a problem or is it the person? Cause actually I don't even think it's about vacation. I think it's about their performance. And like, you can say no, you cannot approve it. You can have that conversation. It's not going to be fun, but like, I kind of expect that at your level. They're like, let's talk about, you know, it, how to navigate that piece. And it's like, it's a good a thought exercise to have as you're growing is just to kind of trust people. That, that thing that you've mentioned is something that Luke Kite, again, the previous guest on this podcast, where we talked a lot about their teal structures and self-organization. They are a small marketing agency in the UK that they, they've gone through that revolution of removing all managers, all structures and changing managers to coaches and mentors and things like that. He mentioned the same thing, that we introduce rules and policies for the 5% make up figure 1%, 5%, but a small group of people to kind of control because those are people who are taking advantage, abusing, however you want to describe that. But by introducing it for the, the said 5%, you are actually making life difficult for the 95%. You said, yeah. so is it, it, where, where is it better uh, to, to focus? Right. So it's kind of, you're punishing the 95%. You kind of go, and that's, the, the quickest way to people become becoming disengaged and think thinking that they're fe thinking feeling most of all that they're, they're being controlled deprived they're losing things out that things are changing and that's when things come and thoughts and uh, and statements like oh it's not it's not like it used to be in the olden days when we were smaller mm -hmm. when we were younger right that's where kind of that disillusionment disheartment happens i think 
brings me on to another point. Uh, we've spoken all about the, the great things that you've been doing and how they've been working. I hope it's been perfect for you, but I'm sure it hasn't. <laughs> what hasn't worked? What have been some of the challenges that you either are still dealing with or you've tried and they completely went sideways to what you were hoping for? Can you, can you share anything on, on sure. that front? I think, you know, the one thing that I, I don't, I, I, I do miss, I guess, rather, is how easy it was to communicate and to spread a message when we were small. And that's been kind of a, a trial by fire learning curve as you get bigger. You think, I, I think that we communicated something. I did a slide in a little hands or I posted it in Slack or this or that. And people will have not even heard about it. It'll be news to them. So I think learning the hard way, like, oh, if we want a message or an update to get across, probably need to communicate it like seven different times, seven different ways to make sure that it falls in everybody. But that's definitely been been one for sure. I think even too, like, you know, when I when I think back to the early days and even to now, I've never... You know, and I, I hope this doesn't come across as, as disrespectful, but, you know, I've, I've never really regretted somebody that we've made the, the decision to to let go of. I've always understood it and I've always thought it makes sense for the business, but I have regretted the way in which it happened. I think, you know, there are times when you you think that yourself and, or the manager that you've been working with has adequately kind of had difficult conversations, given feedback, the person will surely see it coming, but they're actually totally shocked. And I, I, I don't think that's, that's great. So I think that's something that, you know, as we've gotten bigger, we've, we've put a lot of more effort into kind of training and supporting managers on, but certainly if I could go back and do it again, I think I would, the outcome would be the same, but maybe the, the way in which it happened would have been delivered differently interesting that you say that it goes probably back about uh, over a year now it was a project i was working on with some with some colleagues we were trying to kind of develop a new product or service if you're it was actually focused on offboarding people because mm. organizations and um, it's so great and they're so creative when it comes to onboarding people to make them mm -hmm. feel welcome which is fantastic but often the offboarding process of somebody leaving the organization is burned bridges hurt, you know, hard feelings, broken hearts, all sorts of things on either side, right? And ultimately, I think most people would be hard pushed to disagree with this, but we want people to kind of be ambassadors of, of our organization, yeah, man. right? That you want, you want them to kind of say, yeah, you know what? We parted ways. We have outgrown one another, or I wasn't mm -hmm. no longer happy that, but I would, I would recommend in a heartbeat because of the culture, because of the salary, because the responsibilities, whatever it is, was often enough, it's it, it, how it happens. The onboarding process is mostly kind of exit interviews, ultimate opportunity to vent all the things mm. that were on your chest for, for the two years or three years that you were there, but you, you, were, you were afraid or you were made afraid to, to feel, to, to voice them. Or the, 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 the team lead, the manager feeling uh, as if somebody's broken up with them. Yes, because they've, you know, they've it is been a cheated. breakup, right? Like it's it the is. end of a substantial relationship and amount of time. And I, I totally agree with you. You can't just celebrate people on their way in and then shush them on their way out. You have to do right by people. Like, I mean, getting dumped sucks. I've been there. And I think, you know, going back to kind of what I said and to where we are now, 
biggest differences are the lead up is different, but I think even the termination itself, you know, people are so risk averse. Your lawyer will say, you know, you come in, you say so-and-so, we have to sit down. We're going to have a difficult conversation. Today's your last day. It was a business decision. Here's a package, you know, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. But if I'm getting broken up with, you know, what's going to prevent me from reeling and spinning and going crazy is, is as cheesy as it sound is, is closure. If some, if A, I kind of saw it coming, but then someone had the finesse and the care to in that conversation say, Ken's, you know what? This sucks. We've made this decision, but here's why. And they leveled with me and they, they let me know. And I wasn't left guessing. I would go, oh, this isn't what I wanted, but okay. Like if that's truly what it is and you've laid it all out, like I can, I can make peace with that. I think even if I don't agree, at least now I know. Uh, because you know, heaven forbid somebody go on and they go, well, did I, did I get fired because of this thing? Or was it because I'm a woman or because of the color of my skin or because I just had this, you know, I started a family and I would, I would never want people to think that. And sometimes if you aren't willing to give people an answer, then they start to jump to conclusions and go, well, did I have something to hide? And that's actually not good for the company or your bottom line either. No, that's, that's very true. But it's, it's, as you were saying that, it's just kind of the the concept of ghosting came to mind comes to mind that's oh. how how a lot of time organizations when they do kind of give you the chop and not really give you justification or something very vaguely clearly written by a lawyer exp explanation it kind yeah. of does feel like you're a little bit you don't get closure you sort of feel like you're being ghosted you're, you're being told from one day to the next not to come into to work you you you, you will be paid for your notice however long that is job done right mm -hmm. But again, as you said, is that relationship. And we do make a little bit, a massive hoo-ha, you know, rolling out the red carpet, massive uh, fanfare when somebody comes into the organization. But if if you look at the other end, it's when somebody leaves, it's the equivalent of going, actually, do you mind Go just leaving through the back door at the end of today and just clear, gently, quietly clear your desk and just, you know, when someone knows, oh, just don't come in on Monday, but don't tell anyone. That's kind of the equivalent, isn't it? We make yeah. this hoo-ha at the front. But when they leave, it's kind of the small back door in the middle of the night so when nobody sees, right? Which, which I don't think is yeah. fair for, for anyone, for the well, person who leaves. But also, what, what signal does it send to people who stay in the organization, right? That's what I was going to say. Like, going back to that high trust environment, people might have feedback. And hopefully, they, you know, they give that feedback directly to the person directly. But maybe at some point, it does need to be kind of escalated to the manager. And I would hate for a team member to give their manager feedback and then turn around a couple of days later and that person's gone and then they're having that guilt. Oh, did this happen because of what I said? Should I not give feedback anymore? Because, you know, the, there's, you know, the accent's just going to come down, so to speak. And I think a lot about like, how do you balance being respectful and, and, but also still giving insight into kind of the reason behind the decision. I always kind of think, you know, it should pass like that. Anything that we do, a lot of things, it needs to pass a newspaper headline test. If it became a headline tomorrow and there's a article, would we be okay with that or would we be freaking out? And I think you kind of always want to act with, with transparency, but also some, <laughs> some grace. That's, that, that's a great approach. I, I, I like that. I might start recommending to people to, to kind of think of it in, in those categories of, of, a, of a newspaper headline. I think that's, that's, that's a good test. That's definitely a good test. What's, what have you got planned for the next few months? Any initiatives that you're running uh, that you're really, really looking forward to implement or see the results of in the next few months? What does it look like for you? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I mean, I think, you know, still thinking a lot about, you know, recruitment in this crazy competitive market, retention, how do we make sure we're not losing 
great folks that we have that we're hiring at the bottom end. And, you know, that was a big focus for us last year and continuing into this year about, you know, how do we make sure that people have great managers? How do we make sure that we're investing in making sure that people see growth opportunities and career paths for themselves at seven shifts so that, you know, they're not tempted to leave. But now kind of going into 2022, on top of that, I'm starting to think about, you know, we've talked about the hybrid work environment for so long. I really think, or I should say, I really hope that 2022 is the year where things completely open up. And that is going to go from hybrid plan to hybrid action. And it's going to be a lot harder and there's going to, you know, we're going to have to be nimble and open and adapt to that change that comes with it when, you know, it's a lot easier. It's easy to be remote when pretty much everyone's remote. It's going to be a lot harder to have that participation in meetings and onboarding and all those things when it's a mixed bag. And so, so hybrid going from plan to action, I, our team is thinking about a lot, even like completely redesigning our office to function well and, and uh, support that hybrid model. I'm also thinking about like flexibility and not just in your work and, you know, set up, but like total rewards, like how many people are becoming parents? How many people are, you know, wanting to have personalization when it comes to their benefits, you know, picking tiered plans, allocating, you know, maybe a, a chunk of money to the different spending accounts that speak to them versus having like a one size fits all approach. So I'm kind of excited to dive into those kind of in 2022. After after we finish today, I think we should look have, uh, look at, into our calendars for 2023. I'd like to book you in for, for another uh, visit okay. onto the podcast. I'd love to hear how, what you learn from that, especially the hybrid element, because it does have a lot of misconceptions and a lot of misunderstandings of it, uh, mm. of what hybrid is and how it works. Because on the surface, you think it marries both best, best of both worlds gives people the flexibility to be to be remote but also satisfies the employer who sees the, the the people in the office has the collaboration has the communication that people mingling and interacting and also you know justifies keeping the offices open and the rents as well but that's on the surface under the hood you're marrying two in a way don't, I don't want to say opposing approaches but very conflicting one another and actually there's a lot of to be said, I think, whether whether it's actually possible to marry the two completely or whether you are just working with two processes that are very, two approaches, sorry, that are very closely aligned. Mm -hmm. They run parallel to one another, but they're not, they're not interweaving. They're not one. And what I'm, I'm, I don't have an answer to that. That's something that's been on my mind for a better part of the, the last 18 months from what I've been seeing. I'm leaning more towards the the kind of the two process aligned rather than it being one, if you're talking about hybrid. Well, I guess the the nice thing is, is that we're all in this together, rough for bringing it up together. Nobody's perfect and nobody has all the right answers. And what, what works at one point is going to evolve and change. So I think that, you know, what you're doing with this podcast so we can learn from one another and lean on each other, like it's, it's so great because I, I love talking to, you know, people at their companies to like, what are you experiencing? What are you noticing? What are you doing? And it doesn't matter if somebody's 200 or 2000. A lot of the times they're thinking about the same thing. It's just at a different scale. Very true. Very, very true. And in a way, I think it's a nice point for us to to wrap up. So uh, for, for me, absolute joy and pleasure having a bit of a, a, a chit chat with you about all sorts of things from the future of work 
to what you've done in the past and how it's affecting your culture. And very much appreciate you sharing uh, everything about what you do at Seven Shifts. Uh, and uh, I'm sure that a lot of people will benefit from from that. A lot, a lot, especially small organisation, whether they're startups or just smaller in in size, but looking to scale. About how important it is to have that intentionality about what you do, about culture, however broadly you want to define that and whatever that means to the organisation. I think there's a lot of a lot of stuff that you shared has been will be very valuable to them. So thank you very much for that. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's me again. Just one more thing before you take off. Head over to human.pm forward slash we got this. That's all one word where you can find this and previous episodes show notes, suggest a guest or topic, ask a question or join the community of other listeners. Until next time.